What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, Uber Lyft driver and gig economy news. Powered by UberLyftDrivers.com. I'm your host, SJ, and it's time to get it on. couple of things I want to mention real quick before we get into it, though. Uh, first thing is first, let's talk about a little bit about Solo. And we're going to be really getting into Solo now. Now that it's July, um, it's it's time to start talking about it. Um, so Solo uh, is move, is spreading around the country quickly. It is, it is hitting cities. You can download it, and you can put the app on your phone um, to... Uh, even if your city isn't live and you can get the estimates and what you should be paid, what you could be paid on each platform. And then once they are in your area, it's a guaranteed pay system. So if they say 38 or 35 an hour to work Instacart and you work that hour and you don't make 35, Solo pays the difference. And I've had it said to me, isn't that like Prop 22? No, because it's not government funded. It's data funded. So the anonymous data of of cars moving is making it so that they can figure out exactly what your ma- what the goal is for them to be exactly right in their guesstimate, saying that it's going to be thirty three an hour working this hour block for Instacart. They don't want it. They don't want you to go under, and they have to pay it. They don't want you to go over, or I mean, they would. I mean, we all want you to go over, but they, in a perfect world, Solo wants to figure it out so that they've got it down and can estimate what your earnings are. So anyway, we're going to be jumping into that a lot. Um, also, Solo and Para and uh, Middleton Tech are all sponsors of the uh, the first annual uh, uh, gig conference that's coming up. So, yeah, if you guys weren't aware of that, uh, make sure to check into that. You go to uh, 2022.gigworker conference or gig workers conference oh my gosh can't believe i don't remember this right now uh dot com it's one or the other it's either plural or not plural but anyway um i will find that i'll put it in the notes sorry about that guys i just uh didn't have it in front of me (laughs) um also want to talk to you about middleton technologies you guys know about middleton um from flex alert to duh to maximo uh driver utility helper duh is for DoorDash drivers, Maximo is for Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, Uber Eats, and uh, you know they're filtering apps that let you exactly set your parameters on how far you want to drive, what kind of rides you're looking for, how much you want to make, and if the if it doesn't fall into that when you you're on those platforms, well, it'll just kind of push it to the side for you, no big deal. So check into MiddletonTech.com, you find all the apps on there. And then I also want to hit on uh, Moves Financial, guys. Moves now has uh, 17 uh, primary gig apps, like 
kind of like the Giants, I guess you'd call it. You know, Uber, Lyft. Um, they had like Wag and Corner Shop and some other ones too. Um, put the whole list down here for you. But, uh, you know, Moves is banking for gig workers. It's, And I know there's a couple other companies that I've seen kind of trying to... To, to start up, but I, I know I know moves, and they've been around for a few years doing this. So, seen one other company maybe on Twitter, um, but I don't know anything. You know, I don't know anything about them. Moves has been around, and they get you shares of the platforms you work, and they can get it down to where they can um, are able to cash advance you money if you need to fix your car, and you can get that limit raised by the amount that you work the platforms and show them. So things that traditional banks won't do. Kind of a, a banking for gig workers, right? It's a good way to think of it. With that said, let's jump into the piece. I'll come back on the other side. All right. Today, I'm uh, very happy to have Adam Vanderpool. He is the uh, Director of Operations Strategy at Alto. Or is it Alto Rides, by the way? It's Alto. It's Alto. I just know it's the website's Alto or Ride Alto. And so, yeah, I didn't know if like you guys put that on the end to kind of clarify what exactly you were doing, but um, it's nice to have you on, Adam. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, nice to be on. Excited. Yeah, me too. Um, I've actually been following the company since you guys did start um, because I thought it was, you know, I was like, well, there's a, you know, there's a rideshare company that's doing it with the W2 model. Let's see how they do. And I remember you being in Texas and I remember when you went to California and then I was a big, I was a big person. I was a big person in the argument against AB five, and I'm not a big fan of Prop twenty two either. But I was kind of so. One of the things I'm going to want to get into a little bit here in a little bit is is how you think that's helped you because I think it's I think it would have helped you in California having the both AB five and Prop twenty two, even though they're different things. Um, mm-hmm. Because you guys already started off with an employment model, and I've just we've just been kind of watching what the rideshare game out there is doing, and it's just kind of tanking with this Prop Twenty Two money and stuff. But you guys seem to be jamming. I is it? I mean, from what I can tell, it's the same vehicle every time, right? It's always. Yep, we have a wholly owned fleet, so every vehicle is an Alto vehicle. It looks like an Alto vehicle, and you're always yep. going to know what to expect. But it's always a what? What? What is it? It's a. I mean, it's an SUV. I know, but what? Can you can yeah, we talk so, about what kind it is? Or mm-hmm. we're using Buick Enclaves today. Um, okay. We kind of rebrand them a little bit to be Altos. You know, we make put the little Alto symbol up front, um, and we sure. rebadge. You know, over time, we're looking to transfer over to an electric fleet, and so you know that's going to change. But today, we're using Buick Enclaves. Um, yeah, they're XL I, I was... cars, and so it can fit more passengers. And um, generally, like they're actually pretty comfortable passenger cars. I I really enjoy my experience in Altos. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at them, and I have an SUV. I have a Rav Four, so I know what this kind of seating and all this that's like. So I'm like thinking, you know, these are that's that's nice, roomy rides, and the fact that always the same car shows up. I don't know. I was I remember during the pandemic, I was really impressed because I was thinking like I was seeing all these people building like air bubbles or like mm-hmm. containment centers for the drivers that were like home built with maybe duct tape and just the worst crafted things. And I remember that you guys had like a system of like cleaning I, I don't remember if it exactly like happened directly in the car 
or yeah i can i can talk about that a little bit um i mean we do have we do have barriers or kind of like custom barriers that we have dividing out the driver from the riders that we put up during covid um we installed hepa air filters in the cars the same air filters that are in kind of airplanes and hospitals to help circulate the air um you know we put permasafe coating on the you know on the vehicles you know as soon as we kind of found out the pandemic over time you know we realized that 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 may not be kind of the most effective treatment um, based off of things that we learned but you know we just started to jump into action do everything that we could um, in between every ride, uh, the drivers, you know, clean the vehicle. And that's something that they've always done. You know, cleanliness and consistency has always been a top priority for us. But, you know, we really doubled down during the pandemic, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so I don't know if I want to, if I'm trying to, like, focus more on L.A. or if I'm trying to focus more where you are in Dallas. Because I feel like even though you guys started in Dallas, I mean, I was just looking and I saw, where else did I see you are? D.C.? Um, mm-hmm. I can, we're in um, Dallas, LA. Um, we're over in Silicon Valley. We're in DC, we're in Miami and we're in Houston. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was Miami and DC that, that were the ones I didn't even know you were there. And so, you know, I mean, I guess you guys are starting to move out a little. I mean, when you talk about the company, do you refer to, is, mm-hmm. is Dallas like your, not only where you work, but is that like the primary Alto business city oh, or is it, is it growing no, no, bigger not, not other at all. places? Um, no, I mean, like headquarters is in Dallas and, you know, that's right. where we launched. I mean, Dallas is a very kind of like average market. Um, it's one that we really wanted to kind of like prove out the system, but, you know, we're replicating other cities and every city is a major city for us. Right. I mean, there are there right now we're literally in our first six. So each and every one of them is, you know, critically important to our business. Um, we're, we're rapidly expanding. I mean, you mentioned Miami and D.C. You didn't know we were there. I mean, we, we launched both those markets within the last year um, right. and we're planning to launch, you know, plenty more within the next year. Is Denver on your list? <laughs> it's somewhere on the list. Oh, it is okay because that, that's where I am. I am. If you didn't know, I'm in Denver, so um, I was just curious because a lot of most gig economy stuff and all that kind of stuff does really well here. I figured it'd be on the list, but I also was just curious. Um, so one of the biggest differences that I really want to get into that I know that uh, that the listeners will want to hear too is that um, Alto is. W2. It's not rideshare. It's mm-hmm. not accepting rides. It's not your vehicle. It's not. So can you break down like the, I mean, is it like a come to, come to work, get assigned a vehicle for the day, work a shift, or is it yep. like a cab battle where you're you, taking you, a vehicle home? You, know, is you, it... you got it. You got it exactly right. So we have op centers um, in all of our cities. The drivers come into the op centers like they would come into their place of employment. Um, you know, they sign in, they clock in, they get assigned a vehicle, they pick up a car, and then they head out on their shift. At the end of the day, they bring it back into the op center, they clock out, and then they head on home. So very much just like a traditional W-2 job in that sense. So I'm guessing that you guys have way more applicants than you do vehicles. Yeah, definitely. Like way more. Okay. Um, but at the same time, what are the requirements of a driver? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously there's going to be some kind of like, um, you know, very tactical requirements. Like they have to have a driver's license. They have to, you know, kind of be, um, but then really kind of what we're looking for, right? Like when we're screening, and I think that it's kind of like the heart of your question. Um, We're really looking for somebody with, you know, a customer service first mentality who's really looking to provide like an excellent customer experience to our passengers. And that's really kind of like the the primary thing that we're looking for, right? Like somebody in terms of like personality and like skill set just a customer service orientation. Um, besides that, it means really just about like dependability, like reliability and all the things that, you know, make a traditional W2 employee, like a great employee. 
um, you know, one big difference between Alto and kind of like the gig economy models, right, is that, you know, drivers are assigned shifts, you know, they're working in very a more traditional like management structure. And so those things that make W2 employees, um, you know, reliable, like reliability, consistency, dependability are also just really important to us too, right? Yeah. Well, so I also saw that you guys do training too, which is a big difference from the gig economy mm-hmm. too, because obviously you're doing the best you can to weed the specific drivers mm-hmm. out that you want. But at the same time, mm-hmm. then they have to go through your training. What is your training? Just curious. Yeah. So once a driver um, kind of takes their interview, so the, the process coming on, if I can just like rewind a little bit forward, a little bit backwards rather, um, the drivers will apply, you know, we'll kind of like, we'll go through their applications. Uh, we actually have an interview um, component where the drivers are interviewing just like a traditional W2 job. Should they pass that and kind of move on? We do, we start off with virtual online training to really kind of get them to the basics. So that drivers could be you know doing training modules that really let them understand kind of like, you know, what it is that they should be expecting. Um, you know, how to kind of like operate in Alto, what our standard operating procedures are, then they come in for their kind of like in-person training, right? And so we have trainers. Um, All of our trainers have previously been drivers. So they essentially kind of like at this point graduate up as a promotion. Um, And the trainers then work with that driver. They take them out on the road. Um, They kind of show them the ropes. They kind of go through simulation, like simulation trips, right? Where the trainer might, you know, role play as a passenger, um, so on and so forth to get that driver just comfortable kind of doing some things, which come very naturally to gig workers who've been doing it for a long time. Um, But, you know, may not come naturally to kind of like the Starbucks barista who's coming on or like the uh, front desk agent who's coming on in terms of like, you know, using the app, making sure that that driver feels comfortable and ready to kind of like be doing that in a quick fashion, be um, like just interfacing with like the Alto product while they drive, not necessarily while they drive, but while they're, you know, completing their missions, making sure that they're, you know, coming forward with a customer service mentality, making sure they're driving safely. Um, We do do some tips on just kind of like, safe driving, making sure that that driver is really focused on, you know, um, bringing that customer service experience first and bringing kind of just like a safe, consistent ride first. They're not, they're not trying to race there necessarily. And they're not incentivized by um, the same things that Uber Lyft driver might be incentivized towards. So because it's not independent contractorship, is it specifically that the driver is following the map system you want? They're doing... yeah. That's, that's a great point. Um, so versus um, relative to Uber and Lyft, right? We just have a lot more control. Uh, the driver is going to be, you know, taking the trips that we assign to them. They're going to be kind of like moving to the staging positions we assign to them. The drivers aren't competing against each other, right? It's actually right. more like a hive mind, um, which in a lot of ways gives us more room to optimize on the back end um, because, you know, all, every driver um, necessarily can kind of just like execute on the game plan. Um, which you know creates like more room for optimization. Now, because it's because it's done that way, and they're and they're assigned. If a driver feels unsafe or pulls up to a location and something is happening, it, is there a method without them having to call in from the location to like pull yeah, away from so- it? And- we have um, driver support slash dispatchers um, who sit here centrally in Dallas that are always available to the drivers. Um, there's kind of like one click of the radio way. So drivers always have that kind of like constant connection to our kind of centralized driver support. Um, beyond that, we do have kind of like inwards and outwards facing cameras um, through our telematics device, which helps us kind of like monitor the system. And so when drivers are driving, it's, it's not as if um, there's like a, you know, one of those like mall security rooms where like we can kind of just like see what they're doing at all times. It's we really are just able to pull this from the cloud. Um, should there be an incident, 
And so it's really kind of a safety first like mechanism that provides drivers a little bit of extra, you know, reliability or just like um, takes that, you know, takes that off of them in a way. So when you're talking about telematics, you're talking about like how the driver's performing too, because I, I'm a little familiar with it. It's like how they mm-hmm. brake, how, how slowly they stop coming up to lights and it's like a constant yeah, exactly. evaluation. So yeah, you, you got it exactly right. Like, you know, are they speeding too quickly? And when, when those things happen, right, we take that as coaching opportunities. And so again, like more of a traditional W2 job, there's like a management structure. Like we do use these tools to constantly kind of train and performance manage our drivers. I'm really trying to build, you know, the greatest workforce um, in the rideshare industry and, you know, create a good experience for both drivers and passengers alike through that. So it's not like, hey, you've been speeding, driver X, you've been speeding too much. Um, just like Uber, you're unlike deactivated, but you're fired. It's not like that. You're no, trying yeah, to, you're trying yeah, to keep them. You're trying to help them. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, there's like any kind of managerial position, right? There's like empathy. There's like trying to like coach and build up and create, you know, just create something better. Yeah. Um, can I ask you, I don't, I'm sure it might be different given the city, but can I ask you what the pay structure is for a driver? Yeah. So the pay structures, um, it's very, it's what we really try to focus on, right. Is like consistency and making sure that these folks know what they're going to get. And so that's one benefit of Alto versus kind of a traditional gig economy model. Um, you know, you come in and you're essentially kind of like locked into your hourly wage for your shifts. And you know that ahead of time um, because you're, you know, you're scheduled for them and you, you know what to expect sure. within kind of like the day, um, the there, we do have kind of like a variable pay structure depending on hours work, but you already kind of lock in your shift. So you know what the average is for that. So for example, from potentially like a noon to 2 PM on Tuesday, you may be getting paid kind of like our off peak rate, because for us, that's, you know, one of the times where we have a lot less demand. So we schedule less drivers for that time versus if you're driving from, you know, 5 to 8 PM on a Friday, you're going to be getting kind of like the peak rate um, because that is when we are the busiest. So depending on the hour of day, um, we do create kind of like this level of differentiation based off the pay. But for the driver, um, you know, that differentiation that is locked in, like they, they already know what to expect when they get their set of shifts, they can already calculate like, Hey, this is what pay I'm going to get for the week. Um, so it both provides like consistency with like variability. And one of the reasons we do that is to make the system um, attractive for some drivers, which are also pretty beneficial to us. So you can imagine like a part-time driver who only wants to work like certain, you know, certain shifts and those shifts, you know, align really well with kind of when we have high demand. And so we want to find ways to kind of like, you know, reward those folks um, because, you know, if you're working 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, you should be receiving kind of like pay that's differentiated based off of the business value that you're providing. Um, but for most drivers, you know, they have a spread of kind of like a spread of hours across these variable pay rates, which ultimately lead to kind of like their their mixed average, which they know beforehand. So is it is it I, I was just listening to your referencing. Is it common to be two to four hour blocks of time and that's about it or no, the, the majority of our shifts are, you know, more traditional. So like about you know six, seven, eight hours. Um, okay. what, but what there are some folks who work shorter shifts to so think about like a four hour shift. And what I'm trying to explain is that the, the differentiation and pay provides right. opportunities for folks who do have flexible schedules and would like to work shorter shifts, differentiate their pay and work that shorter shift around kind of like the highest, you know, the highest value time. So we create some opportunity for those folks to specifically target the areas that are most valuable to us, which is air times with highest consumer demand. Um, but for the majority of our, you know, drivers and especially like all our full-time drivers, like they're working, you know, closer to eight hour shifts. 
Right. But no, I like, I liked that. I figured I, I just, I guess I just figured everybody was an eight hour shift with you guys kind of thing or seven or whatever it might be. I didn't know you worked with people to say, Hey, this is high volume. If you want to just work three, we're cool with that. <laughs> Cause I like that because yeah. I think the drivers sometimes, you know, each, to each driver is own, but I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, sometimes you just, you need a break. Some drivers can't make, you know, the yeah, eight I hours mean- anymore without it being somewhat technically dangerous or yeah for sure and that that's something that we've really um worked to kind of like screen and like when you when you come into the op center right like you're you know you're interfacing with kind of like management um you're talking to other people and so one thing that we're really on the lookout for is you know there have you know it's potential for somebody to kind of come in there they look a little tired and we we talk to those folks we make sure that they're okay we kind of like vet them a little bit and we make sure that there's no no nothing happening unsafe either for our passengers or for that driver right um, sure. And so we want to kind of like be a, a barrier to that. That's good. So, um, can you, so can you tell me about like the, uh, them cleaning in between and all this? I mean, is that how, like what, how many, is, is it at, at all, how many average rides would a driver do in like an eight hour shift? I know that I've been doing ride share, so it's very hard to gauge this kind of thing, but I'm just kind of curious. If- yeah. It, it, it depends on like the day and all that. I mean, like they're going to do, you know, um, I don't know, like a dozen shifts in like a, an eight hour day, maybe on average. And that's probably a mix between kind of some longer trips to the airport, right. Depending on the city um, and depending on kind of like the traffic and the time of day that they're working. But because they take every trip, they're paid for every minute that they're in the car. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're paid by, they're paid for like the hours that they work, yep. not for the trips that they execute on. Like they're, they're not there trying to kind of like optimize for, right. you know, optimize for themselves. They're helping optimize the system. Right. They're being paid W2 hourly, not active time. Yeah. I mean, like the onus is really like on us as a business, right. To be, you know, forecasting properly, to be kind of like optimizing the schedule to, and you know, all of those things, um, because, you know, let's say the the demand was like a little less than we expected. Well, that driver, you know, that's not on the driver. Like the driver, um, it, it, consistency is key for them, right? Like we scheduled them for these times. We said like, hey, these are the hours that you're going to work. And this is the pay that you're going to receive. And they're going to work those hours. And they're going to receive that pay. Um, so do they, does every driver have like an alto uh, gas card too? And all like it? Yeah. Yeah. So we pay for all the expenses. I mean, like sure. they're coming on, they're receiving their hourly wage. And that's a, that's like the financial relationship that the drivers have. Like there's no, there's no output anywhere. Like they're not paying for gas. They're not paying for like maintenance of the car. Um, they do have a, they do have a gas card. We actually try to do um, the majority of our fueling kind of like at our op center. And so we, you know, we have kind of like a, a fueling model, um, but they, they do have gas cards when they need it. Um, obviously like maintenance is taken care of and anything regarding um, vehicle expenses. Yeah, I'm guessing there's a lot of the maintenance stuff done through you, right? Maybe or not. Or... Um, no, we have we have partners that we work okay, with. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, I guess you know what is I, I'm curious about these membership options for. Mm-hmm. No, I'm on, I guess now I'm on the rider side. I'm mm-hmm. curious about these membership options. Like, uh, has this always been the case? Yeah, so we we actually launched with a membership only model. Um, okay. you know, back in the day. Because um, I saw you can also time. call for single rides too. You just can't pre-schedule them. And... Yeah. So over time, um, I think like August of uh, 2019, we launched kind of like a guest tier, uh, which allows you to book without kind of a membership. You are, like you mentioned, blocked from pre-scheduling rides. You're also blocked from booking kind of like our peak times. And so, you know, going back to kind of like Friday and Saturday night, 
um, those are kind of like members only times, right? Um, there are other times a day where we're busy, where we may kind of restrict and, you know, let members go through. Um, but that's, that's essentially kind of like the model. Um, members also have, you know, severely discounted rides based off of those guests. Um, it's generally about 30% cheaper. So, okay. So if I'm a member and I pay the, I see the annual fee, I'm going to use the annual one, for example, um, or the family. It's $99. Both, yeah, it's ninety nine dollars. Yeah, it's it says ninety nine dollars. Was one fifty five. Says ninety nine now. So yeah, so so it's twelve ninety five per month, um, or ninety nine annually. And so the the discount on the annual is obviously just like twelve ninety five times twelve, but you're only paying right. ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, two free months. But so like the like how much it would cost me to go from uh, I guess let's use Dallas since you would know like. I don't know Dallas real well, but like if you were to pick a spot uh, and go to yeah, so the, a, another place in a rideshare, what would the price difference be if you had a an, an, uh, membership? Yeah, so Alto? the membership pricing for Alto is roughly similar to kind of Uber XL. Okay. Um, and we do have like XL vehicles. And so that's, that's about the price range. And for guests, it's going to be about 30% more expensive than that. Okay. Okay. But I mean, but you're getting the same car every time it's way cleaner. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we really focus on, you know, passenger experience, safety, um, which we haven't necessarily talked about fully from the passenger side, but it's definitely there with kind of the, um, you know, the employee drivers, again, the, the rear and forward facing cameras protect kind of like all people in the vehicle. Um, and then we, you know, we, we vet the drivers, there are W2s. And so it's a little bit different experience, um, for some passengers who are a little more discerning. Um, you know, consistency, and then just again, the, the quality of the experience. And that allows us to differentiate a little bit on pricing um, versus, you know, UberX, for example, um, which, you know, doesn't yeah. necessarily have the same differentiator to stuff, obviously. Sure. Um, I was kind of surprised. I saw on your FAQ, I saw, why is there a 10 to 15 minute wait? And I was thinking to myself, you know, like sometimes it's, it's way longer with waiting for rides. So I was like wondering why I was in the FAQ. For you guys, yeah, that, so, you know, why is there a 10 to 15 minute wait? I was thinking probably because there is a wait. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, so we, we really aim for 10 to 15 minutes as being kind of like our standard wait time. And we're actually really focused on being very consistent about the 10 to 15 minutes. So we, we're actually, you know, we don't allow the, the driver to get there in kind of like two minutes based off the system. Um, we don't allow them to get there in like, you know, 30 minutes. We, we really try to uh, optimize the system for 10 to 15 minutes because we want to create like consistency and like habits within our customers. Obviously, you know, where we have our own fleet of vehicles, there's only, you know, we do have some limit on the amount of vehicles that we can have out um, relative to kind of like our demand on the road. And so we can't have, you know, literally like a million vehicles in one city, right? Um, and so knowing that 10 to 15 minutes is what we found to be kind of like the sweet spot for, hey, we find that, you know, this is this works for passengers, as long as we're delivering in a consistent way, they can kind of learn to schedule kind of 10 to 15 minutes in advance. And for most of our passengers and like their use cases, they generally have that kind of 10 to 15 minute like advance notice before they want to go. Like, are they if they're going to the airport, they generally know now just like, hey, I'm going to book an alto. I'm going to call about 10 to 15 minutes where I want to get there. Um, I'm going out to dinner, you know, I'm going to call 10 to 15 minutes before I want to head out. Um, but, you know, it, it allows us to kind of find the sweet spot between like customer satisfaction as long as there's consistency um, with just like, you know, having a having our business run right like we can only have so many vehicles relative to our competitors um, who you know crowdsource everybody's vehicle and you don't find that with certain events like i'll take i'll, I'll use houston i won't use dallas this time because i do a radio show out of houston on friday nights and i'm i we always we talk a little baseball and i talk a little baseball with the guys down there and uh you know obviously houston big baseball town um, especially recently mm -hmm. 
So like during an Astros World Series game, you don't find that like these 10 to 15 minute wait times like start having issues or you're having to move the fleet around and it's not really playing out. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, like sometimes with events, you're right. Like sometimes it won't play out um, exactly as intended. We do have a cutoff actually. Um, and generally that's, let's say like 25 minutes whereby which if we're giving you a wait time, that's beyond that. We're actually going to cut it off. We're just going to say like, hey, there's no vehicles available right now um, to the passenger because we find that just being upfront with them and letting them know like, hey, you know, we don't have something that's going to service you within kind of like the requisite amount of time is a better passenger experience we found um, than to kind of like give them an overly long wait time and just like totally like break the promise. And so that's that's one way that we try to kind of stay within that window. Um, but generally, because, you know, we're, we're forecasting hard, we're trying to, you know, get the drivers out for those events. Um, and do everything that we can to meet that service promise and continue to deliver on a good customer experience. Well, I figure if your control centers in Dallas too, you're able to move fleet. You're able to say, hey, we're really getting eaten up by the stadium. Move some cars over there. Yeah. And some, one other thing that we might do is, um, you know, if there is like an event that's, you know, based on a physical location, we can put up a geofence around that location. And so when passengers are kind of popping up okay. or when they get there and they say like, hey, you know, just to let you know, like it's the Astros World Series, you're at the stadium, you know, you may experience like longer wait times. And yeah. if passengers are kind of okay with that, then at least we've done kind of like our diligence of letting them know. Um, and so we set expectations and generally that, you know, leads to better outcomes in terms of just like feelings about the wait time. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, like if you're saying it's the same as like, you know, as like one up from an Uber X, I would, I, I mean, if it was in my town, I would be taking it every time. I don't, I can only, I guess I can only imagine that you guys are doing extremely well. Is there, is there a next, I know there's a lot of cities, but there, is there a next city kind of targeted that, that you can review? Yeah. I would, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll give you a few. I mean, like, um, I think Chicago, Boston, like New York City, just really think about like some of the biggest markets in the US, um, just generally in terms of population, and you're, you're going to start to get like pretty close. Um, really, we're targeting kind of like in our intro, like the, the top 20 like US metros. Um, but there's, you know, obviously a lot of ground to cover from there. Yeah. And uh, when you say it, it's, it sounds funny to me because I, I mean, this is like the 142nd podcast I've done you know, the website mm-hmm. for five years and all this. And to be honest, like I'm so used to like people these days when they're on here saying, well, no, we're not going to go to New York, not with those new laws going into place, but I keep re- having to remember what your W2. This doesn't even, yeah, none exactly. of this stuff affects you. So it's, it's, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, and to your point, like it does affect us, you know, in a positive way in some ways, right. It's kind of like the tide shifts more and more to be kind of like, w2 friendly or or leaning towards that side rather um then you know we're we're already over there uh, we're already kind of like doing the whole enchilada and so yeah. it's it's definitely kind of an advantage for us that's awesome um so i guess uh before we wrap it up here can you tell us about the ev transition the accelerating ev fleet or what's going on there yeah, I mean, we're super excited about transitioning our fleet in 2023 and starting to move over to ev um really, I'm personally really excited about just like the implications for kind of like environmental sustainability and some of the work we're going to do there. Um, But not not only are we not only are we moving over kind of like the fleet, like the cars themselves, but we're really thinking about like, how do we think about the infrastructure required in order to make this work, right? Like how much of our ops center is going to change? Um, And that's kind of like a whole nother piece of it, which is also super interesting. Like, how do we think about, you know, the amount of chargers we need for chargers we need per vehicles. Um, how do we think about kind of like optimizing kind of like the charge time to those chargers? 
Um, I mentioned earlier that for, for fuel, we're trying to do a lot of that kind of like on-site through kind of like our, you know, our fuel modeling. Sure. And that is, you know, it, in some ways that's like pretty, you know, it translates pretty well to kind of like this like EV future. And that's one of the reasons that we do it um, because in the future, right, it's going to be a little bit, it might be a little bit harder to go kind of like just stop by the gas station, and get our EV filled. And so we're already kind of thinking about that optimization and the infrastructure required to make that happen. By next year, huh? Yeah. So next year we're starting the transition. Um, well, you know, I think that we have some pretty lofty goals and we're excited about them um, and we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, um, so here's what I, here's what I would like to say is that if anybody is in Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, DC, or Silicon Valley, obviously if you're, if you're doing rides, if you're, if you're using rideshare as a service, uh, give, give Alto a try, go to rideAlto.com. Um, their cars are definitely, I got to say this guys, I, I just got to be honest. They're way nicer than rideshare cars. And, uh, <laughs> Um, they're roomy. They're nice. Uh, he just was talking to you guys about the pricing model and, uh, and yeah, I guess if you're a driver, same thing, go to rideauto.com and you can find some information on there on how to maybe locate yeah. a job. If you're in one of those cities or, um, you just heard some other cities that might be popping up anytime soon here, who knows, but, uh, yeah, other... yeah. thanks. You know, thanks Steve, for the kind of words. No, appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course. And then I just wanted to, uh, again, thank you, Adam, for coming on and, and talking to us. I've, I've been following Alto for a while. I find it interesting and I find it very interesting that you're a W2 model because I think that people have been very hesitant against that, but there's some people starting to rethink their, uh, yeah. their view on that right now. Yeah. I mean, like we're making it work and we're excited about, you know, creating new options for drivers. Um, so thanks for having us on, Steve. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And uh, you guys check out Alto Rides. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll be following you, Adam. So thanks for your time. Thanks again.